Welcome everybody. Bienvenidos to the oh shit. I mean absolutely nothing except for the fact that we just want to have a you know a clean, fun episode and get everybody home safe at the end of this hour. So uh, <laughs> it's been a little while since our last episode. It's been uh, about a little over a week, maybe a week and a half. We have seen the Yankees take two out of three from the Boston Red Sox. We saw the Yankees take two out of three from somebody else and somebody else as well. A bunch of, we went 12 and four since our last episode, the Padres, the the Boston Red Sox, the Royals, Orioles, and Rays, Rays, Orioles, and Royals. So, you know, a couple of formidable, we, you know, the Padres are a bit of an unknown so far. We did take down Chris Paddock in an epic fashion. Manny Machado was rendered essentially useless throughout the entire series. Um, Ian Kinsler continues to be the like just the scum of the earth, and you know besides that, it's just really the highlight of the past two weeks was the series against the Boston Red Sox, which ended with the Yankees taking two out of three. Um, somehow, some way, losing to David Price just the other night. What was that last night? Actually, uh, as we're here in the the late night of the 3rd of June draft night. I believe the draft is concluding. If not right now, then very soon. The Yankees have selected both of their picks. Andrew, no, not Andrew, that's my name. Anthony Volpe, a high schooler out of New Jersey who is a Yankees fan from what we can tell from his Twitter. And also, what's this kid's name? Something Sakema. TJ Sakema lefty out of Missouri. 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 He's a Golden Golden Spikes finalist. Uh, Oh, that's good. Yes, he is. Yeah, like a 170 RA or something like that in Mizzou. So he seems pretty good. He seems pretty good. He looks like a big, like a unit. Yeah, lefty, you know, lefty hurler. Um, He he just looks like, uh, you know, just like a big, long-haired, blonde guy. Kind of like a Thor, except with a bigger built, you know, bigger built. Yeah, I guess you could say that he's a, a mixture of Luke Voigt and Noah Syndergaard. How about that? Let's it go with like that one. It looks like things are still going on for the draft, and I think the Yankees will pick at 67 for their second-round pick tonight also. Oh, well, I do want to, uh, without, you know, before we get too far into this, I want to announce some exciting news. Um, Congratulations. Jonathan, what? <laughs> Max is pregnant. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'll get to yelling at Max a little bit later in the episode, but unfortunately, John wasn't feeling well tonight. So, you know, Mr. Cashman and you know our associates had to make the call to our top prospect, which is awfully ironic today, given that Esther, Esther Jesus Christ, Estevan Florial <laughs> has returned from the injured list, the seven-day injured list for the Tampa Tarpons, I believe. Was it Tampa? <laughs> yeah, he's with Tampa. He is with Tampa. He. The last time I saw, went two for two today with a home run. I think he ended up like two for three or something. But yeah, he had, something he like that. I, you know, I didn't really 
whatever. But it was, whatever whatever it, was, it was good. Yeah, it was good nonetheless. And what the point that I was actually trying to make in the beginning was the fact that in well, what's the word for it? Concurrent with the New York Yankees organization, we have made the call to our top prospect. And we welcome to the Core 4 Podcast tonight a very, very loyal friend to us and to the pod, Jacob, LOL. You might know him from Twitter. If not, I recommend that you do. At Jacob, an I. Yeah, at Jacob, LOL, but the last L is an I because... You know how Twitter works. People, somebody, somebody probably already had. I'm sure innocent. Like yeah, he is innocent, like our friend Mister of all this number forty or fifty four, rather. But Jacob, welcome. It is an honor to have you here. Uh, yeah, take how it away. Doing? What's up? Cup is Cup is a loyal friend, as we've mentioned. He's he's a good kid. He's a he's a loyal Yankees fan. Funny dude, we actually just we were we planned on recording this about an hour ago, starting, but we got sidetracked in the Discord server, uh, listening to video game donkey videos for the better part of forty five minutes, and that, uh, Wait, that is, that, that is great, bro. But who is Cup? Yeah, I don't who, know who, who Cup is. Cup? is. Did you guys know it's my birthday today? Happy birthday, Cup. Um, yeah, so reply to us on Twitter. Yeah, Mazatov. Everybody type in the chat with uh, the Kim Star. But um, yeah, we're very we're very excited to have Cup here with us today. Unfortunately, Max is still here with us, and <laughs> we're actually gonna get to that late, you know, a little later, like I said, where I where I let Max have it because Max is running his mouth a little bit today and not a lot of people were too fond of it, but that that's a, that's a conversation for a little while. What is a more pressing issue is the fact that the Boston Red Sox stink. And this is a very welcomed addition to my life. I must admit the better part of 2018 in which I witnessed them and their insufferable fans with whom I go to school and live, you know, at, at school. It, I watched them even have the smallest semblance of happiness and joy, and it made me physically ill. And I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't stomach that. Like, I, I get it with Twitter and stuff. They're bad enough. But when I live with just like boundless Red Sox fans and I go to school with them, I go to school, you know, much like Max did. Max was right in the heart of Boston. I'm I'm about 30 minutes south. So it's even worse. Yeah. It's like Boston, you get a lot of people where they're just like, it, they just live in Boston, but they're not, you know, in like the, the college area. It's just like they go to school there and stuff. You're not getting like the Southie trash, like, you know, like put whiskey in their cereal and like, you know, beat their kids and stuff. <laughs> You're just getting a bunch of like, you know, a bunch of liberal yuppies that want to go pay too much to go to college like Max and we're, you know, down down on the South Shore of Massachusetts, you get a lot of those, like, you know, really entitled kids that, you know, went to all these schools and stuff. And they're like, go socks and uh, it, it's it's awful. It's absolutely ridiculous. It makes me sick. And every minute that I'm home closer to the city of New York, New York makes me a happier man. So here we are. The Yankees are wow. winning. The Yankees are great. The Red Sox aren't winning. The Red Sox stink. And the universe is balanced again. Word to Thomas Malthus. This is actually a, a big Thomas Malthus thing. Thomas Malthus and Thanos are actually quite similar if you really think about it. 
Can you elaborate? In that their guiding principles are all just balancing the world order and the universe. You know? Is Thanos alive or dead? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Well, he's dead. (laughs) Is he dead? Yeah. I actually didn't. I didn't see Endgame nor Infinity War. It's never been my thing. I've always been a DC fan. (laughs) You gotta suck it. Absolutely. I can't. I, I don't know how these sheep go and pay $12 to see the same movie for like the time. Actually, I got it in for free. All right. Well, just because Cup is a thief. Just because Cup is a thief does not mean that I am he's not a, a sheep. I took advantage. You did what? Uh, uh, huh? Took advantage of whom? Y'all, y'all hear something? <laughs> Do not attach any association of this to me whatsoever. (laughs) I have nothing to do with such idiocy, such blasphemy, such ridiculous nonsense. Cup is our resident Stephen A. Smith historian, statistician, librarian. Uh, I don't know what other words I could use for him. Stan. Yeah, he's essentially a Stan, and that's about it. Stan? I Stan. Who? Who? I don't know, but no, not John Carlos Stan. But speaking of John Carlos Stan, the New York Yankees, who whom John Carlos Stan sometimes decides to play for, um, just took on their arch rivals, the Boston Red Sox, as I had previously mentioned this past weekend. And there, there's a lot of things that I think we can cover and talk about from that series. And we'll we'll leave some of the negativity towards the end of the Red Sox series coverage. I don't. I don't want to get all worked up about Clint Frazier just yet or how we needed more starting pitching or about how David Price finally came around and did all that. I want to talk about oh, some God. of the good things like the fact that DJ LeMahieu is still, you know, as close to divine as we have ever seen in a human being about how Gio Urshela is probably second on that list after DJ in turn. Well, and then you add into the, to that, the surprise factor of how this career 50 WRC plus hitter who, you know, stinks suddenly no longer. And a lot of other things. I think there were a lot of positives. We're seeing kind of, you know, the, the foreshadowing of Aaron Hicks real return into true form and things like that. We saw, I don't even know JP, what else happened? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Pick me up well, here. Voight has been hot since the last time we recorded he's a 179 wrc plus since may 16th which was the last time that we released an episode um brett gardner has been he's hitting 360 since that date glaber torres um 300 um one of the lower averages is actually lemay he's hitting 288 um which is funny but dfa he's been he's been productive um Gary Sanchez continuing his his renaissance. He's hitting 273 since then, which is fantastic because he's a, a 636 slug since uh, <laughs> we last recorded. Pretty much everything he hits goes over at this point. Essentially. And I, I, I love the takes on Twitter where people keep saying like, um, you know, like, oh, Gary Sanchez. Like we heard it a lot on the broadcast last night. And just throughout Twitter where people are like, oh, like you, you have to have Gary in this lineup because he's like so hot right now. And it's like and I, I saw, you know, multi, I'm not going to say this is my own original take, but 
that, that's not true. Like you need Gary Sanchez in the lineup, not because he's hot right now or kind of just, you know, just on a good streak. It's because he's literally phenomenal hitter. And yeah. Gary Absolutely. doesn't necessarily like he obviously everyone goes through hot streak streaks, but like I, I, I fail to recognize Gary's 2018 or 28, 2019 thus far as like hot streaks off streaks. There was a hot streak, which was the entire first part of the season. Then he got hurt and then he came back and it's just essentially been another continuous hot streak. So if well, you take away the, the only times that he really wasn't hitting is when he wasn't active. Well, that and also because he was just smoking the ball right at people, which is like not exactly his fault. Like the, yeah. all the predictive metrics were just like, well, he's hitting the ball really freaking hard just right at people. And so it's not a surprise that it's sort of normalized into him hitting the ball the way he is now. And once things heat up, you know, when he, when it gets to the summer and he starts, you know, the ball starts flying out of the stadium like it always does, it's going to be crazy for him and for the rest of the hitters too. Oh, yeah, like August Gary. The fact that we are actually going to get like another real life full strength August Gary Sanchez is just it warms my heart. And yeah. I, I'm I'm curious to see what happens. Obviously, this is cliche at this point. Like everyone's curious, but like what happens when all like the stars align and you know the universe is in order to Malthus and, and Thanos again, but like when the weather gets warmer, when team is fully healthy and you have a top four of LeMahieu, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez. It's like how many runs per game is that team going to produce? Is LeMahieu still your leadoff hitter though? Oh my God, 100%. I absolutely, like it's not even, it's not even a question anymore. I think Aaron Hicks is a great perspective leadoff hitter, but I think his skill set can be better used in the middle of the lineup because it'll break, you know, he can be a lefty bat on the days where they're facing a right-handed pitcher. And I, I just think that DJ is too good of a leadoff hitter. I think there's nothing that I've yeah. seen that would tell me that he needs to be elsewhere, except for maybe the runners and scoring position numbers. Yeah. That's, that's why I asked because that's why Gio is doing like, I mean, like, yes, obviously DJ is still getting his fair share of uh, runners position at bats and stuff like that. But you have a guy like Gio is hitting like what usually sixth or seventh in the lineup. And he's, I feel like in every situation he's like coming up, like he's yeah. up there. <laughs> I like the like, idea of Hicks. I'm oh, sorry. No, you go. I was just going to say, I like the idea of, of keeping LeMahieu, leading off just because he's been getting on base at such a high rate that you can put Hicks, who's an on base and power guy in the middle there, but bat him five or six or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you can either have him be leading off an inning, which is something he's, he's no good at because he's been a leadoff hitter before, or you can come up with guys on base and either give you a good at bat or, you know, possibly hit one out. Yeah. And the thing is like, there are concerns that I have about Aaron. I love Aaron. Don't get me wrong, but there are concerns that I have about him in the middle of the lineup, like the fact that he is kind of a liability with the bases loaded. He has never been necessarily one to produce with runners in scoring position. Um, like his RBI, not even just RBI numbers, but like his RBI production, like as a, as a whole, not just the number itself, but his efficiency in that regard has always kind of been a little bit troubling to me. Um, the Yankees, I guess, were just receiving note from JP here at 11.56 p.m. Selected second baseman Josh Smith 
from Louisiana State University, LSU, go Tigers. Um, John? We... <laughs> John? Josh, J-O-S-A-O. All right, John. Gotcha. All right, John. So John right. Smith. Put John on the phone. But yeah, we actually, um, oddly enough, there is another second baseman from LSU that's been making pretty good. Uh, that's been pretty productive for the New York Yankees this year, and that's DJ LeMay, who we, who we just mentioned. But back to Aaron Hicks. LSU? Yeah, he's a Tiger, if I'm correct, right? LeMahieu, yeah. Yeah, LeMahieu is a Louisiana State Tiger. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. His name is LeMahieu. Uh, I'm going to give you guys all a minute to digest how awful that was. What Max just subjected you all to. I'm going to give you guys a second to digest. But no, really, uh, Aaron Hicks, I think he would be well served at like the sixth spot in the lineup. And then you think about at that point, you would assume if Aaron Hicks is batting sixth, that Luke Voigt is fifth. And then that brings your seven, eight, nine of Blaber Torres would likely be seven. Uh, and then Gio and Brett Gardner. I, I mean, I'll take that all, all day. I mean, granted, Brett Gardner, say what you want. Like he's obviously very inconsistent, but with him or even, I don't know who else would necessarily be in that position. Maybe Clint Frazier, but something like that, either one of those guys. Uh, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know he stinks, but like, um, yeah, like either one of those guys, that, that bottom three of the lineup is, is kind of, Similarly scary to what we used to see last year when all the stars aligned of Sanchez and Duhar Torres down there. I mean, granted, it's a little different and Gary was struggling and all these things, but I think when everybody returns and the stars align and I think Aaron Hicks will benefit as well with the Yankees from his services in the middle of the lineup, as opposed to, you know, at, at the leadoff spot, because that, is DJ LeMay he was to lose at this point and until he dips below like 285 I see no means for concern in that. oh absolutely I don't think there's a reason to be concerned about it I think it's probably I haven't dug into it but having watched it and see how he's playing it's just another one of those things where they, he's still hitting the ball it's just getting caught it's yeah. not like anybody's you know it's not like he has a loop in his swing and they're they're um you know taking advantage of something like that um and I think it's also no coincidence you mentioned Gardner that he has had a bit of a, you know, his, um, his hitting has sort of taken a turn in the right direction ever since that they've put him at the bottom of the order. And that gives him a better opportunity to be getting some more like low leverage um, at bats. And he's not uh, facing those top pitchers as many times as mm -hmm. um, a guy at the top of the lineup would be. Um, which is great. And the discussion of, of course, with how are the, all these guys going to fit together is especially relevant now with the impending return of Didi Gregorius on, I believe. People oh, fuck. I, see, I didn't even mention that. I, I knew I was missing something. Sorry. I completely interrupted. That's why I was drawing a blank at who would round out the bottom of the order. And it's because Didi Gregorius is likely going to be that guy. I think a seven, eight, nine of some combination of um, Torres, Gregorius, and Urshela. Fuck, sign me up. I mean, I think I think they'll start him down in the order, you know, like seven, 
six, probably just because I think, you know, he'll, you know, when he's right, he usually, they like to hit him three. So like, yeah, they do. It like just that, depends on. It just, yeah. I mean, it just depends on how they want to put the pieces together. And I think, I don't know. I think it might be a little aggressive to bat him third already because you can put Hicks there for now because like I've said before, he can play in as many minor league rehab games as he wants, but nothing is going to actually replicate being in a major league game facing major league pitching. He could, he could uh, hit fifth and when Stanton comes back, have Sanchez and Stanton have him split between Sanchez and Stanton. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because like Luke Voigt was the opening day cleanup hitter because Didi wasn't there and that sort of altered the construction of the lineup. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that all comes together because, you know, when everyone is healthy, Judge owns the number two hole. Um, healthy and good Gary Sanchez could bat third or fourth. Gregorius, if he's right, could bat anywhere between three and six, really, depending. So it's like, you, it's a yeah, puzzle. Yeah. Would Voight hit sixth? I think so. Yeah. I, 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 fifth, or, fifth or sixth would be wow. good. I mean, that's a luxury. I think wow. the lineup is insane. a good place for, for Luke Voigt. Yeah, it is insane to think about considering his production this year. But I think when he has all that per, like that protection around him, um, what's it called? That, that would be beneficial to him and for the team. All right, since we're waiting for JP, I just want to say... um. Gary Sanchez is the best catcher in baseball and any talk I hear of Real Muto is absolutely atrocious and makes me nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> what does what does what does Real Muto do better than Sanchez? If if we're being real. I could think of something that the uh the Boston faithful might see that better from uh, Yeah. Yep, that JP hit the nail on the head pretty much in that think JT would uh, be a better fit for our Massachusetts brethren than our lovely Gary Sanchez. I don't know if he would find too much of a home there in Fenway going Park. Back, but. Going back to the Sox series, can we talk about how solid Jay Half looked? He looked great. Right. His last he two looked, starts, his last yeah. two starts, he's made one bad pitch in each of those starts. And they he's both it up. Yeah, he, he looks good. He's elevating his fastball. It's what it's what you want to see out of him. He's only going to give you five innings, six of the best, and you'll take that. And that's the thing. I think you a lot two of two or three runs too. It's it's fine. Yeah, the the two guys that have been leading Yankees fans recently to say, you know, you know, run out and say, go sign Keiko, go trade for this guy, go get this guy. It's happened, Sabathia. And when you really look at it, their last you know outing respectively have both been quality starts. I mean, CC was a little shaky. He, he gives up, you know, he leaves one hanging. And, you know, I, Bogarts and, and Martinez, they're talented right-handed hitters. They're gonna hit home. It's like, there's nothing you're going to do about that. Obviously, I wish CC didn't leave, you know, hanging fastballs for them to put 400 plus feet. But shit happens. He went six innings, three hits, or three hits, three runs against the Red Sox. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain about that. I think the offense has to do a better job against the guy who, is notoriously just absolutely dreadful against the Yankees. So that game is Yankee not, Stadium. 
Yeah, especially at Yankee Stadium where he is what well, was like one and nine or oh last nine year, or something. A game last year chased him out. Oh, yeah, he got destroyed last yeah. year. Also, I saw I saw a tweet that made sense that said like David Price is too good against everybody else to just consistently suck every single time against the Yankees and like even a broken clock is right twice a day. So like yeah. whatever. I mean, they still scored five runs in that game. They only they got sort of shafted by the defense at that point. But um yeah. I I think that's a good enough time to bring it up then. Clint Fraser. Uh, we actually on, talked about this exact that, thing. What? Okay. I was gonna no. say before that, I just want to throw out stats that are pretty crazy. Oh yeah, let's let's hear it. Proceed. Um give me a second. I gotta find another song. Oh Dios mio Max. <laughs> no, they're they're good too. Yeah, they're good. Where are they? Joder. Uh, okay, so <laughs> okay, so here we go. So last night, the it was the uh, second loss of the season of more than two runs since April nineteenth. So since April nineteenth, they've had two losses uh, that have been more than two runs, and it's their sixth all season. That's crazy. And they've had two losses the entire season of more than three. You said two the entire season of more than three? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. I think it was against the Mariners and the Angels, if I'm correct. Something like um, that. That's ridiculous. And I actually lost that. I'm hmm? um, saying they lost April 18th. They lost to Kansas City by five. Um, they April lost to the Angels 18th. by six on the 25th. Oh, so then it might be three then. Um, I missed one. And then they yeah they got blown up by the Mariners in May. It was like ten to two or something. It's ten one, but other than that, everything looks close. You know, and that's three. My bad. I got that. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the of a lot of the tweets that were circulating earlier in the season, twenty games in, and the Yankees were leading the league in like one run losses. Yeah, and I think that was always spun early on to say like, Oh, Hey guys, this vaunted bullpen of yours actually stinks. And I was always a little skeptical of that. I was like, it was because they kept pitching Tyler Clippard and big spots. No, 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 this this year, year. this year, this year. Yeah. (laughs) Where'd you get, where'd you get 2017 from? (laughs) I thought that's what I thought we were talking about because I feel like right now, well, yeah, the bullpen had a bad like week or something. (laughs) But yeah, and I think that's actually something that, you know, with the exception of Luis Sessa and David Hale last night, the Yankees bullpen went into that game having thrown 24 and a third consecutive scoreless innings. That's ridiculous. And these were good teams that they were facing for the most part. Like the granted, there was some, you know, some shit thrown in there, but like these were the Red Sox. (laughs) <laughs> no, these are like formidable opponents, and the Yankees bullpen was literally flawless. Like you can't say any other word than that. <laughs> and uh, like <laughs> that, that can actually open up a whole new can of worms that I'll get to in a minute. But like guys like Adam Adovino, who went the month of May without allowing an earned run, Zach Britton, whose ERA now is down to like two oh five. The Yankees have two guys, or two guys, four guys whose ERA is lower than like 2.1. The only relievers with um, I've got since the last episode, the um, guys who have not allowed a run are Joe Harvey in one outing, Britain 
um, Ottavino and Chapman each haven't allowed a run in like a couple weeks. Which is crazy. I mean, Chap- Chapman's pitched seven times. Ottavino's pitched eight times. Britain's pitched seven times. And so in those innings, they haven't allowed a run. And Canely has a 2.57. David Hale a 2.70. In this, this is in this time frame still. I mean, the worst numbers are on Holder and Sessa right now, but those guys aren't really the high leverage anyway. Yeah, and I think like the Yankees are still third in the league, I think. I don't know if it's complete like total staff ERA or just bullpen ERA, but that's including guys like Jake Barrett, Joe Harvey going up and down. That's including the demise of Chad Green. That's including... Guys like Luis Cesar, who I actually try to have a lot of faith in, but has, you know, had a tough outing the other night, much to the <sighs> responsibility of his right fielder. And stuff like that, where it's just like the guy, the third highest or third lowest, rather, ERA among your staff. And that's because of guys like Adam Onovino, who has a bit of a frustrating style about his pitching and his relief appearances in that he allows a lot of walks. He works counts a lot. And it's always like, I I feel like it's always kind of a production with him, but at the end of the day, he has like a 1.3 ERA. Yeah. There's a lot of indicators that say he's been like lucky to this point, but at the same time, those don't really play into the context of the matter, which is that he knows how to make his pitches. And I, I mean, he's had one, big blow up of an outing if I remember correctly I don't think he's really gotten shelled before there was the one outing where he came in in relief Britain because Britain had like walked the bases loaded or something it was when both of them were bad at the same time essentially um and he gave up like two homers in an inning and it was sort of like oh no like maybe he is sort of he's not he because he looks invincible that's the thing yeah on the matter of staff ERA um they have the second highest um war fan graphs of uh any pitching staff in baseball era has them as as the fifth who's best first? But who's first is tampa Yankees <laughs> have 9.3 war from their um from their entire pitching staff and then if you just do relievers it's 4.1 from their relievers the next closest team is um the Houston, the Houston rants at uh, 2.6. <laughs> You're going to jail, Houston. <laughs> I will be your candy ass, Houston. My dad is a cop. All right. <laughs> oh. No, but I think a lot of Tampa's probably came from Tyler Glass now being literally untouchable for a few weeks upon his, you know, bursting into the scene and then for his injury, which is very, you know, very sad for him. For the Rays, I don't really care about the Rays, but for him and for the game, because he was just an electric picture, pitcher to watch. But Lindsey Adler wrote and published an article the other day about the bullpen, but not, not necessarily about their performance and like a statistical analysis of it, but more understanding how they work as a group and kind of getting inside the dynamic that the bullpen has on this 2019 Yankees team. And it was, it was really fascinating. It was very well done, obviously as Lindsay Lindsay's work always is, but like it was, it was really interesting hearing guys like Adovino and Britain and 
um, and Dellen and Chapman through his translator and things like that. Talk about how they work together and how I, I don't remember off the top of my head, like, you know, word for word, but Britain was essentially comparing the bullpen to like an orchestra and how they just, everything is so seamless. They barely even need to like, they don't need much consultation. It's like the manager makes a decision. The bullpen's already, you know, two steps ahead of them. They are, they're preparing for the decisions, things like that. And they were talking about how you can waste guys like Adovino for one batter in an inning because you got, oh, geez, excuse me. You have guys like Britton, Canley, and Chapman to back them up. Like other teams, if you had a guy like Adam Adovino, there's a very good chance that you don't have three other all-star relievers in the back end of the bullpen where you can use that as insurance to just throw Adovino out there for a third of an inning. You know, that, that would just, that would be wasteful to another team, but to the Yankees, it's, it's, a, you know, an aspect of strategy that they can employ. Yeah. It, it's something very useful, very unique to I think it's often overlooked also- because people like to criticize, you know, bullpen management and it's very easy for relievers to explode in an outing and for them to look like they've lost it. But like, I've seen really no signs of any of that. I think this is not, I, I I am of the opinion that Aaron Boone has improved his ability to manage the bullpen significantly from last year. The amount amount of dumb mistakes that he had made last year with, you know, guys going into certain spots and things like that. I think he's kind of gotten more comfortable with the weapons he has and that he's not afraid to sort of um, use his relievers by the leverage of the situation and not just force them into innings. Cause that was the, that was one of my biggest complaints about Joe Girardi was that Dylan Patances was pitching the eighth inning, whether it was seven, eight, nine or three, four, five. Whereas Ottavino has come in in the sixth, he's come in in the eighth. It just depends on where the hardest outs have to be, um, mm-hmm. have to be gotten. And so we've seen that in the, I think in the Red Sox series where Ottavino pitched the sixth, um, Canely the seventh, Britain the eighth, and then you know, the next day it could be completely different. Yeah, and I think Lindsay mentioned kind of things like that in the article. And one thing I'm actually curious about Aaron bullpen management is upon the return of Tantas, one of the bigger problems that Boone had last year was single, like the the managing of Dellen Batantas, not necessarily the bullpen as a whole, which was a concern, but like I think particularly it was he failed to employ the services of Dylan Batances effectively and efficiently where he would be throwing him out for two innings. He would be doing all these things that, that lessened the effectiveness of what makes Dylan Batances so great. And I think I, I don't want him to run into a problem of employing that, especially when there's already so many, you know, so many weapons in this bullpen. It's really such a good problem to have if you're him. And that you can throw out like a sixth, you know, a seventh, eighth, ninth inning little triad and two consecutive, you know, two consecutive games, six completely different guys, all of whom are all star caliber relievers. I, I think that's just absolutely fascinating how the Yankees have constructed a team that, you know, allows for this possibility. And Aaron Boone has the pleasure of, you know, letting the most critical fan base in sports history witness that. So it's, it's, it's a very fallible industry. Bullpen management is 
but he has done an absolutely great job so far. The thing about it that's really frustrating is make the right move, but if the pitcher doesn't execute, a lot of the blame immediately is going to go to the manager for yeah. putting them in this situation rather than you know the player for not getting the job done. So I think that's gotten better. And also, like what you just said about how um, how much like the the like diversity of talents that are, that's there is going to allow him also to not have to throw Batansis right into being the setup man that we all know he can be. He can pitch low leverage. He can work his way into that rotation. And it's going to be to everyone's benefit that he has that luxury. Mm-hmm. And I, I think managers get the most flack when their bullpen guys fail to do their job more so than any other position. Like if a, if a manager makes a lineup, which everybody complains about, or even everyone loves it in the day. And then the lineup goes out there and scores one run and they lose the game. The manager doesn't necessarily at the end of the day, get the blame for making a bad lineup. It's like, Oh, the Yankees suck today. Meanwhile, if the Yankees are up one and Boone throws, you know, Boone throws April Zach Britton on the mound, who is still Zach Britton and an elite reliever in every facet of the word. And, you know, Britton gives up three runs. The Yankees lose. It's, it's Boone's fault because why would you put Britton in that situation? You know, I don't know. It's I, a I slippery like slope. It, it is. It's it, sort it, of, you kind of have to, because you never know when they're going to figure it out because you could get one, two, three inning from Britain on four pitches. You know, he could get th- three ground balls and you could use him the next day without question, or he can't find the zone. And I'm sure we're going to have these, this, the conversations about Britain more times this year, next year. And, and however it goes, just because relievers are often volatile and how they can sort of maintain their command. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know stuff like that like it's pretty clear that britain didn't have his best command but also there were a lot of there was a lot of bad luck against him i think the the batting average on balls in play for him in the beginning of the season was like 450 or something like everything that he was giving up was just finding a way through as to be a hit and so that's the sort of regression that has allowed him to be a more effective pitcher and I also just think it's it's a settling in thing, you know. Yeah, and, you know, it, hitters, it's, hitters it's, get off to bad starts just like pitchers can get off to bad starts. And I, I think it's it's easier to get on a pitcher for a bad start or like a slow start as it is a hitter because like with a hitter you're like I I, I don't know I, I feel like people are more sympathetic to hitters just naturally because there's I, I think a fan perceives a hitter as having less to do with the outcome of a game than a pitcher. Whereas when a pitcher struggles, you know, and the scoreboard knows it too. But if a hitter struggles, it's like, all right, there's eight other hitters. And if this guy went over four for a week straight, there's still eight other guys that, you know, are in there every single day, you know, every at bat to, to kind of pick him up. But if a pitcher gives up four runs every time he goes out there, that's a little bit more obvious. And may, maybe it's not even just fan perception, but maybe that's the reality of it that pitchers, you know, struggles mean a little bit more to the outcome of the game. But one thing. Well, because a pitcher, a pitcher struggling can, can produce runs for the other team more than hitters struggling. You know, like if, if, yeah. if 
I'm a pitcher and I walk two guys then give up a three run homer. That's obviously worse than if I'm a hitter and I'm just one guy and I go for like if you give up three runs that you're losing by three, obviously. And then if you just strike out, it kind of doesn't change much. Yeah. It's also like, it's more situational if you're a hitter because if you got guys on base in scoring position and you strike out, you're like, what the hell? Yeah. If you're a pitcher, it can happen at any time. I I feel like they both have a similar impact on the game. It's just in different regards and that a pitcher can actively take away from your team whereas a hitter can just stall your progress also with a pitcher you have like a situation where that's the only thing they're doing is pitching besides i mean the occasional fielding like a guy like gary sanchez let's say gary sanchez was struggling at the plate you would you would still need him to be a a sufficient catcher behind the plate still throwing guys out still framing still blocking and all that stuff like it, it's like 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 let's say for instance like a Clint Frazier, like <laughs> Clint Frazier is doing great at the plate, but he's being he's tossed runs in the in defense. Like it's that's it's been so bad. Like defensively, like I don't know where I'm going with this. I mean, I guess, I guess at this point we could, <laughs> we can get into it. Oh, no. This is the. I think it's time. Oh, I, yeah, it's time. It's time. I, I, yeah, I mean, I didn't know how else to segue into that. No, oh, there's a word. It is. It's an yeah, uncomfortable shot. situation to talk about. So naturally, I think. What do you mean it's like, uncomfortable? It's uncomfortable because it made me sick to watch that. Say, it's not like. Oh my god. <laughs> go. It made just, me just sick. Go off. No, no, no. I'm not even going to go on like a big rant, but like, I'm not. And like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't want, because like you, you criticize guys on Twitter and then there's always somebody on their soapbox, somebody on their high horse and says, well, you know, they, they come and reply and they're like, well, could you do it? Like he's better than you. So who are you to criticize it? And here's the thing. I had a men's softball game tonight. I played a flawless center field. Not actually. I slid for a ball. And it was in my glove. And seeing as it's a softball and not a baseball, I had to make that adjustment. And, you know, it's harder to catch. It's naturally, it's like double the size. It popped out of my glove when I hit the ground and I was pissed. I threw a like Sounded like you're playing like Clint. No, no, no. Except mine wasn't a routine play. It would have been, it would have been a web gem. It would have been prime Tory Hunter if I made that play. Prime Tory Hunter. (laughs) Not prime Jacoby? Huh? Prime Jacoby? No, Max. No, not Prime Jacoby Ellsbury. But like both his ACLs. <laughs> but the thing is, like, and then this, yeah, like, I, you know, I caught a fly ball, and then I made an unbelievable throw on a line to home plate that stopped oh. the guy from tagging up from third. And it's like it's things like that where it's like, all right, maybe I do have enough of a footing to criticize Clint Frazier on his defense because I can do it in a men's softball game in which we have four outfielders playing. In a field half the size, not actually, it's actually quite similarly sized to Yankee Stadium, but like, then why can't you do it on the biggest stage on Sunday night baseball against the Red Sox? That's my question. No, but in, rea- you know, in reality, there is absolutely no excuse for a major league outfielder with such athleticism, a young kid with such promise who was claimed to be a five tool player to take such bad routes to the ball, dive like I. And literally, I was a serial diver. 
And literally, I was a serial diver. Everything within 40 feet, I was diving. If it was right at me, I'm diving. Everything. Clint Frazier looks like nine-year-old me out there. Except sometimes I actually caught it. That's the, that's the difference. I mean, he's the worst right fielder in baseball right now. Uh, yeah, overall he's the outfielder. Worst, the worst outfielder. Yeah. By, um, Even worse than JBJ. Which actually lends us to the question. I don't want to, I don't want to rag on Clint. We did this in another episode actually where I, I kind of do. <laughs> I mean, call them out and he hit well. Yeah, like I, we so, kind of sang so his praises on offense. Call it, we're, right, well, you're not giving me a fucking chance, call man. Call him for it. But like I, we sang his praises on offense a little bit. And this was a game where he was throwing the ball from left field. Like he was trying to make a throw. And it was like, it was a like halfway up the first baseline. And I'm like, geez, what are you doing? He's catching the ball flat footed and all this stuff. And it's like, all right, it can't get much worse than this. It did. It got worse. I totally remember that. See, I can't wait until he's a blue Jay <laughs> or he's a national. Okay. Or he's a, Whatever other trading him for McNulty from the Padres. <laughs> the Padres, yeah. <laughs> Baseball. Imagine him it would be great. in Toronto. Yeah. He'd tear his ACLs with his luck. But yeah, like him and Billy McKinney would be the walking wounded out there. Drury too. Yeah. That would be like hashtag Drury gang. They would have to get purple uniforms. Oh, they're all gonna get purple hearts. <laughs> Except well, for the Canada. fact that they're Canadian. Yeah, that, that sucks. They don't have them. The um, Toronto Blue Jays are really going to look like the Yankees rejects if the Yankees um, trade for Stroman or for Aaron oh, Sanchez. I, need Stroman. Be Stroman. That dude, I would love Stroman. Bring him back to New York. Was he thrived. He thrived in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. No, like, there's no way I was thinking saying. bigger. I was thinking bigger. Oh, well, actually, You're before we do that, because that's a completely different thing, but. Um, before we talk about Stroman, I wanted to ask, so I've seen the question thrown around Twitter and I, one of my least favorite things, like I, I hate a lot of stuff, but what yeah, I really hate, what I, what I really hate is this reactionary recency bias that we use to criticize players. And I've seen the poll thrown around on Twitter numerous times. Now, who's a worse fielder, Miguel Andujar or Clint Frazier? And I genuinely think that Clint Frazier could very well be worse than Miguel Andujar in the field. I don't, I haven't looked at the numbers, not that I put too much stake into defensive metrics anyway, but the, the poll, the, the stats are reading like 80 to 20% in favor of Clint being the worst defender. And I was like, all right, if you ask this question a month and a half ago, 90% of Yankees fans would have said Miguel Andujar. But since it was asked 30 minutes, you know, following the outcome of a game in which Clint Frazier directly impacted us and, you know, and then essentially made us lose. Quarters. All right. But that, that's, that's a different thing. But like, I don't know, JP, what do you, because you, I feel like you would, I, 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 mean, I would understand your opinion enough to. Here's, here's what I think about it. And it's different seasons. So there's different things that they get like, um, compared to but here's what i think is the biggest issue of it all is that a lot of anduhar's defensive deficiencies were related to range and so it was plays that he just couldn't get to um you know just because he couldn't move left to right as well or or whatever and so from an eye test point of view it really looks like 
Frazier is worse because he just has all these just ridiculous, you know, screw ups like yeah. the balls that go past him when it falls and it falls out of his glove. Whereas for Andujar, it looks like he's doing step in a dive and he just can't get there. When in reality, that doesn't rate well on his, um, you know, UZR or something like that. Um, and so, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think if you gave Andujar like 80 grade athleticism, he would be a ridiculously good fielder because his instincts are great. He has a great arm. He just doesn't have the athleticism to sort of put all those pieces together. But like Clint, like it's, it's mental with him right now. I think it's just like, no, I think he's, he's always trying too hard. He's always playing like 150%. And I think Aaron Hicks had a really good quote when he was saying like, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember um, tweeted it, but it was something like when your confidence is shaking, you have to remember that at those times, that's when you got to try to slow the game down. And that's something that it appears that the game is speeding up on him rather than him slowing it down and being able to sort of um, play it at the level that he's accustomed to playing it at. Now, see, I, I played, I, I, I mean, I really play him. I kind of saw, I saw Clint play in high school. Dude's a freak. It was a freak of nature. He was a talk of like Georgia. I was like a freshman. I think he was a senior or I was, or it was something like that. And I kid you not his tools. Like he was playing center field. He was tracking down, making diving plays, throwing kids out dudes hitting like 400 foot bombs. And this is, and I see that. And like, I know it's like high school, like this is a high school kid. But I see what he's turned into now, and it's so obvious. Like you said, it's mental. Like this is all mental. He's a, he's not a dumb dude. He's a smart dude. He, I mean, he, he seems very he, put together when he when he he's very he put together. He's a very nice dude. I mean, that doesn't matter at this point. The night, what is if he's nice or not? But he's one of the hardest workers hmm. that you'll hmm. you'll find. Hmm. That's what I've heard hmm. from kids that have played with him. He's gonna. He wants to be the best. I mean. That's, I mean, doesn't everyone, but like he is, he like, yeah, he does the have whole like Mickey Mantle yeah. like story or whatnot. That was funny. Um, from a while ago, uh, like the dude wanted to wear seven or didn't, whatever, not the point, but like if it's true, like this dude wanted to come into, into the Bronx and wear number seven. Well, the, Mickey the Mantle's number was that he didn't even know Mickey Mantle wore number seven. Oh Jesus! All right, all right. Well, like I, I don't, but yeah. I mean, right, that's that's another that's, story. But like the point I, I is, this dude wants to be, wants to be the greatest. He wants to be the greatest. I think it also that but the thing about the number and all this different stuff just supports points to this weird trend that he can never be at fault. Like the um, in the number thing. Oh, I didn't know. Like apparently, he said something that when he first got drafted, he was signing his high school number on autographs with the Indians and he was signing and it was number 19, which is retired for Bob Feller in the Indians organization. And apparently people got really mad at him. It was probably just oh like, my like, God. Thing, like, like the reverence, the Thurman Munson kind of stuff. Like it was an honest mistake. Cause the guy didn't, he, he said he didn't know that that was Bob Feller's number, but of course at the same time he might want to look into this stuff. Yeah. And so like, it's sort of, and it sort of ties into the, I think the, the, the not speaking to the media thing definitely got blown up just because everybody had the same response of like, come on, dude, like just, just own it. Um, 
but it sort of reflects this trend of a lack of accountability. And that's the kind of thing that doesn't really fly with, with the Yankees. And like Aaron judge is always there to, to talk after bad games. The, the quote that I saw, you know, recirculated was when Stanton interviewed after his five strikeout game and said he would have booed him too. Like that was like a textbook. I bet you they show that video at the media training that they give to yeah. players. Is do, like, you think, do you think that's Stan or do you think that was coached in? I think that was pretty I think, legit. I think that was authentic. Yeah. Because I think so too. I think Stanton, I think Stanton they get, gets the worst rap of any player on the Yankees in that people like vastly underestimate what he puts into the game. And I think a lot of his work ethic is called into question because he's not necessarily the most, the easiest player to watch. And I think a lot of his bats just look not competitive and people take that as like, he doesn't care. He's up there just trying to hit home runs. And if not, then fuck it. I think, and I think Stan is much more cerebral and much more, mentally invested obviously you have to be mentally invested as a major league baseball player but i think he is more of a baseball player than people give him you know what i mean yeah no that makes sense i think he's not just like a big dude who knows how to hit a baseball i think he is a baseball player through and through and he doesn't necessarily get that credit and i i think it's hard because it's just like it's just like a rod. I mean, the expectations when you come in to being a Yankee off of 2017, where they were one game away from the World Series, um, and the expectation is that you're gonna go right back there. And of course, there's this idea that when you come into the next season, that like being one game away from the World Series means that if you make an addition like that, it's gonna immediately put you over the top, which of course is not. A guaranteed to be the case and so like for, it was just like era i mean arod and stanton both came to the yankees on an mvp year off of an mvp year and i mean arod's 2004 was a step down but it was still a fantastic season it was mm-hmm. still above average by every you know every way you spin it so like i think first of all stanton i i don't, I don't even know i don't want to even say that it was a bad year for him no, just because I, I feel like that I can't say I feel like that disrespects the fact that it's not like it's not easy to hit 266 with 38 homers and 100 RBIs in a new city the first time playing in games that actually matter like all that stuff never gets a proper like um you know, properly factored in, you know, he's, we don't talk about the fact that uh, I think, what did it say inside the empire that he has like permanent damage, nerve damage in his face from getting hit in the face. He still is this good at baseball. Like, yeah, it's so childish to be assuming things about his preparation or his, you know, will to play when I'm sure he doesn't want to be in Tampa at the minor league facility. Like certainly doesn't. Will we ever see Miguel Andujar play yeah. for the Yankees again? I don't know. Remember when we were talking? We were like, "Let's put him in left field." That could never have happened. <laughs> that was a thing. That put him at first or in left field. That definitely can never happen. First would have worked, but the problem first is they have, they have too many, 
Too many cooks. I'll put Sven. I want him gone. I want him. Make Justin happy. Give my Mets edit picture. I want him out. I want DJ (laughs) in. Stealing my photoshops again, again, again. DJ in. Make the make third base great again. Zoilo Almonte. He didn't play third base. I just Greg Nettles was the last true third baseman the Yankees had. I I really wish I had. I could find that picture. That lineup. Oh yeah, that that's a classic one. <laughs> Disgusting. But mm. all right, so Max is here for the Chapman rant. All right, so uh, when I look at players who haven't been, you know, stinking it up, and who really you could just tell have just an unbelievable, unbelievable work ethic that is, you know, really undeniable, and it it shows in their performance. I think of, and we mentioned before believers on the New York Yankees and how effective they've been. Um, one that really truly stands above the rest that gets a bad rap from Yankees fans for his on-field performance, which is what I'm going to talk about for a minute, in that he is kind of stressful to watch sometimes in that when he can't find the zone, it's, you know, it's, it's painstaking. Bad. It's painstaking. But when he, in you know, that's those are rare events too. They obviously stick out because bad things or, you know, they resonate more than, than good ones. But when he's on, which is like 99% of the time, I would will, I, you know, I'm willing to bet that he's a top three reliever in the game. And that's Rawlis Chapman. Rawlis Chapman today, now yesterday, since it's the morning of the 4th of June, but Rawlis Chapman on Monday was named AL reliever of the month for the month of May alongside Josh Hader in the National League. But Chapman was named AL Reliever of the Month. And Katie Sharp, we all know Katie Sharp. She writes for the Athletics. Those are two great characters, by the way. Hader and Chapman. Yeah, Hader and Chapman. Upstanding individuals. But Katie Sharp, the, you know, the illustrious statistician, she writes for the Athletic. Very interactive on Twitter. All that stuff, obviously. Go follow her if you don't for some reason. Uh, and she tweets... She quoted the Yes Network tweet, which essentially regurgitated the announcement of Rawls Chapman being named AL Relief of the Month. And she says, quote unquote, good things closers should do. Save games, limit base runners, limit runs, lots of strikeouts. Chapman in May, 11 saves, 186 opposing on-base percentage, 0.79 ERA, 14.3 strikeouts per nine innings. She continues, he's the first pitcher in American League history to record a single month with 10-plus saves, a sub-200 on-base percentage, sub-0.8 ERA, and a 14-plus K-9. Now, granted, all of those numbers are essentially pretty arbitrary. You know, none of those are like some actual official threshold that you meet for excellence or anything. But when you break all of those down and you kind of take them for what they are and really put them in his perspective, how unreal each of those is singularly, like a sub eight, sub point eight ERA is ridiculous. 14 plus K9, ridiculous. 10 plus saves in a month, ridiculous. And then a sub 200 on base percentage, that's on base percentage, not even batting average. Like, that's just, that's unreal that under 20% of the batters he faced got on base. Do you, remember, do you remember when we were talking about how 
there was no shot that he'd opt out and that he, the Yankees would regret paying him $17 million. And now depending on how this free agent market comes together and where these teams look at, there's like a realistic possibility that Chapman would consider opting out. It just depends. He's been this good. And yeah. like, I mean, I mean, I just remember he had, he, uh, who knows if we'll be in this situation again, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we aren't, but if his knee flares up or anything like that, but I think that was one of the biggest contributions to him being so shaky last year was, I think it was his right knee. I think it was his landing leg, which results in all sorts of stability issues and it screws up release point. Cause if you don't land, you can't, you know, the rest of your mechanics are off. Yeah. So, I mean, him being fully healthy probably plays a lot into it. And that's something that's obviously benefiting the Yankees to this point. And, you know, as he gets older, there's always concerns about his velocity and all that stuff. And of course, as he's older, start trending down because he's not going to throw 105 forever. Um, and I don't think he's hit that high in a while. And he probably will hit it once or twice in the summer. Um, but that's, you know, that's the sort of thing that, is going right and you know we talked about the successes of the bullpen and he's just you know casually having one of the best if not the best um you know um okay pause rant pause, we gotta pause this you'll have to see what's Mariners game i'm sorry it's the most right. absurd thing i've ever seen in my life i'm gonna watch hold on <laughs> what the fuck what out they had a runner first and third and the dude tried to throw the ball home when it's an easy when it's a ground when it's a double play that's ball. ridiculous who's that tim beckham jesus christ was that crawford what would you do if that happened in the yankee game what would you do uh, punch my tv <laughs> i would kiss him yeah, i'd be like one of those videos on i would wait for big nick uh turtles video Turturro. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, like, we thought, like, what happened with Clayton? That, that, <laughs> even though that would be, like, one run. Like, that. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, all right. Back to chat, man. That was, that was scored as a fielder's choice. Before we restart, do you have any uh, comments on all this chat, man? I got it. I got you. I got you. Um, so I said some things on, uh, Twitter today. I said that he's a great relief, uh, even worse person. And from my standpoint, I need to, my Twitter isn't to be so negative about people. And also that's his off his off the field life. As much as I dis as I don't like what's happened and I am disgusted by what's happened, even if he's innocent or not. I, I have my own opinion and I understand that the legal system, how the legal system works. I understand that he was, that he was not charged and I understand that, but you, people on Twitter don't follow me to hear that, hear, hear that shit from me. They don't, they don't follow me that the, the hear the way I feel about a legal situation. So go where all this Chapman, he's our closer. I'll cheer for him. And, you know, I, 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 I like that a lot. I think that's a very response to a pretty striking tweet when I saw it and a very unpopular tweet that that Max put unpopular, out today. Um, uh, uh, like in the Wildstein family as well. 
Like, my dad, like, calls me up. He's like, you can't, you can't, you can't be that. You can't be saying that. You can't be throwing that stuff out there. I'm like, uh, okay. And then I deleted the tweet because I, he was right. I really can't be throwing that stuff out there. Like it with like what my Twitter is not to sound like, not to sound not like braggadocious and everything. Like I, like people follow me because of the, of the videos I tweet out and some of my absurd takes. They don't, that, that's not an absurd take. That's a, a take that people are really going to disagree with. And even though it's how I feel, it, it's, there's, there, it's, it's not, it's not, not for that. Yeah. And I, I obviously respect that. And I took a, a pretty quick and a pretty stagnant aversion <laughs> to your, to, your tweet, to say the least. And in that, I, as a, as an aspiring attorney officer of the court, I haven't. Are you really? Yeah. I, I mean, you're an intern. No, JP, I'm a prospective law student is still an undergrad. Oh, you're right. So much for the time being. Thank you very much. You're interning at the the, uh, the courthouse, right? All right. Well, I'm going to cut that one from the record because I don't want to give to people, you know, people too much about my personal life. But you know, for now, just wants to cut it up because you called him an intern. No, I, I, I am proudly one. And before JP steps down from his soapbox, I want to tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah, we would sorry, get this out when you angry, 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 no, Josh. J O S H. Josh. Oh, John. All right. Nope. Put John on the phone. <laughs> John Hater. I couldn't even get getting out without uh, dying. Let me get a pepperoni. But as, as somebody with a respect for law and order and, and the respect, unlike JP and Max, for <laughs> the concept of being innocent until proven guilty in this country, I, you know, obviously I don't believe in Sharia law. JP is sorely confused about my indignation of him uh, being a Sharia law sympathizer. And <laughs> I don't know why he's confused. It's clear as day. Just look at the kid i mean wait what does the j stand for in jp is it josh jo- it's not josh i'm kidding it's not john either yeah as somebody as somebody with respect for law and order i i have to admire Justin? what Justin? god damn it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Jesse Ellsbury as someone who has so as much respect for law and order continue I, I have to have a respect for the concept of being innocent until proven guilty which Aroldis Chapman was never proven guilty the charges were dropped he was acquitted of all all charges and you know I, obviously I, I talked to a friend about this who was completely ignorant of the situation, the, the specifics of Aroldis Chapman's situation 
this person is not a baseball fan. Does not, you know, this person is from the Boston area, but does not, you know, favor the Red Sox enough for their opinion on this matter. And I asked them, you know, there's somebody with a similar academic background to me. I said, would you like if somebody were accused of doing these things and they were proven innocent or the charges were dropped or something, would that still you know, would the accusation itself still indict them to the court of your public opinion that they are a bad person like a role Chapman in this situation? And they said, yes, which I completely agree. And in a lot of cases, I do the same thing, not necessarily with things pertaining to the legal system, but even just anything like a normal person. Like if I make a designation about this guy is this, this lady's this, I don't like him because of this. And I find out it's, you know, later, not true. It's already too late. It's too late and I don't like them. And I completely get that. And especially given the accusations on Aurelis Chapman a few years ago, I think that was 2015, 16. Um, it was 16. Yeah. And, and like, those are obviously very serious. Things. No joking matter. There's nothing to laugh about in this actual situation. As much as we make light of the situation that is, you know, the implications and the, the, the fallout of the situation. And, and how it's kind of become a meme on Twitter. We, you know, antagonize Max and say this and that and the other thing. It's really nothing that can be joked about in good faith because it's it's a very serious issue. People are affected in, in brave ways every day. But at the same time, I think it is too often for such for such a serious issue. People understand this. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go and put on some rose colored glasses and say that Red Sox fans. Yeah. So Red Sox fans and like anyone who's not a Yankees fan, which is essentially everybody in the world, you know, not a Yankees fan is not the same as hating the Yankees, but just about everyone who's a baseball fan. That's not a Yankees fan hates the Yankees. And these things, it's like these fans, especially Red Sox fans who, like a, a medium of the rivalry and things like that. It's just so tired. And like they, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's getting late to the point where I'm getting a little delirious. I have work in the morning, much to the chagrin of JP, where he's just going to trivialize everything I do in my life and make a mockery out of my mere existence. But, you know, some people actually take pride in what they do. And I, you know, I go to sleep pretty happy at night knowing that. So JP, if you ever want to know what that's like, you have my number. Um, oh, does anybody else want it? I'll read it out for you. I got you. <laughs> JP, how? Uh, uh, three, f- <laughs> ten. Yeah, if you call my number, I will just say things like Pizza Hut, more like Pizza Butt, Chicken Wings, chicken wings. <laughs> uh, Sprite, <laughs> I didn't know mozzarella. Where I was this whole rant, but. Yeah, at the end of the day, th- this issue is far too serious to be trivialized as some aspect of a baseball rivalry because at the you know th- these things are are th- there needs to be a separation. Obviously, we can make our own personal character assessments of players on the field or off the field, you know, because of the things that they do. We there are a lot of nice guys in the MLB that are noted like nice guys, charitable things like that. Guys like Curtis Granderson stand out. He's always been one of those guys that's just a stand-up individual. Nobody ever has anything bad to say about him. I don't think he's ever hurt anybody in his life. People like that, Cameron Mabin, Andrew McCutcheon, and Aaron Judge, 
guys like that, like we're just don't hurt a soul are whatever you get the point. But I, I, I think it's, it's honestly insulting how often a Chapman and these alleged incidents are trivialized and made light of because it's expedient and it's fun to them. It's, it's literally funny to these people because they can stand on a soapbox. They can grandstand a little bit about an issue that actually affects a lot of people and they can, you know, just make a mockery of it. And it, it's sickening. And it, it really, it makes my stomach uneasy when I read some of these tweets, but I, I had a lot more coherent thoughts. I don't want to blame Max for tweeting something out of impulse and maybe he had outside influences. Maybe he didn't. Maybe this is something which I would assume this is something that Max has, you know, very steadfast beliefs, you know, on that regard. And I obviously people did not like the tweet. I get it. Max is, you know, has since taken action on that tweet, but it's just like, why, why of all things do we have to pick something like this? Just, I, I don't know. You know what I, yeah, I'm just rambling at this point, but like, and I, I feel like I'm actually just talking in circles, but, <laughs> um, yeah. So let's, let's stop the clown act. Let's get serious. Let's take things seriously that need to be taken seriously. Let's, Let's just act with a little bit of rationality if we can. And let's stop making a mockery of, of real life issues because it makes, you know, it gives you something to tweet about because it's, it's lazy. It's, it's disrespectful and you make me sick. And quite frankly, I don't, I'm, I was going to make a threat, but I'm not going to do that because I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. Like I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. It makes me sick. And have you seen my Twitter? Yeah, Cup Cup actually one day saved me and my two sons and my wife from a burning building and drove us to the hospital in yes. his brand new Bugatti. It's a true story. Out of the kindness of his heart. And then paid I for think all I left my bills. I think I left my platinum Rolex at the cup holder, by the way. After I let you borrow the car. <laughs> oh yeah, I borrowed the car to go to go visit my uh my my brother on his mission trip. Before he uh, gets deployed. Yes. To, uh, uh, Israel. Nope. No, oh, Israel. there it is. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously um, I want to wrap this up with one little personal anecdote. This it's not, it's, you know, much different than my last diatribe about a raw Batman and the, um, the, the stomach sickness that I get from Red Sox fans. But <laughs> so on Thursday, I uh, went into work and it was about 8.45. Kind of fuck. Yankees are playing the Red Sox tonight. I really want to go. I hadn't been to a Yankees game this season. Uh, usually I try and go at the beginning of the season if they go to Fenway, considering I'm still at school for a day and things like that, and it's right down the street. Same, same with me, obviously. But, you know, they, they didn't come to Fenway yet this season, so I was not so lucky. Uh, and I thought, you know, what better time than Yankees, Red Sox? I'm going to look, you know, I sit behind a computer all day at work anyway. So I was like, I, I usually look throughout, you know, look on StubHub throughout most of the summer just because I like tracking to see what happens. You ever see. tried game time before? Game no, time I before. haven't, but I'll, I'll try it. But you ever tried yeah. not interrupting me? No. I'm kidding, Max. Wow. I'm kidding. Wow. I'm kidding. Wow. I'm kidding. Wow. I'm kidding. You're, it was too you're, easy. 
Okay. okay. Someone's I, like, someone's cranky. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so yeah, and I look at stuff up. I'm texting. I'm texting one of my friends. I was like, "Oh yeah, Yankees." And they're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Yeah, are we going?" She's like, "You got tickets?" I was like, "No, I'll get them." She's like, "All right." So I went. I I bought tickets. I'm going down there. I knew that there was inclement weather in the forecast. We get on the train. We get from whatever starting point we were at to about Bridgeport, Connecticut on the train. I look at the Yankees Twitter account and you know, I think it was at like five o'clock. They canceled this game. I was pissed. I was pissed. I thought they would delay it a little bit and we would have to just sit through the rain a little bit when we got there. They canceled it like two hours prior to the start. I was mad. We're like, all right, we're already on the train. Fuck it. They're rerouting. It was going straight to Yankee Stadium. They're rerouting it to Grand Central. I was like, all right, fuck it. We'll just go. We'll walk around. We'll do some shit. Ended up being a very nice evening. I was really, really mad that the Yankees didn't play and that I didn't get to see them because, you know, why, why, you know, obviously I I just wanted to see the Yankees game. Walking around the city was nice, but seeing as it was absolutely grossly humid and raining and just disgusting evening. I was mad about that. But what I was really most mad about was not being lied to by a nice bartender who said that the deli next door would be cheaper than going to a package store. But more the fact that the not so nice gentleman behind the counter charged me $19 for a six pack of light. I will I oh my god! If I had all the power in the world, I would shut down. I would shut down that institution in a second, in an absolute a terrible second. establishment. It was. I have been hoodwinked, bamboozled, it was a led astray, run amok, and flat out deceived. Flat out deceived by both of those gentlemen, of whom I hope I never see again in my life. Long story short, none of that would have happened if the Yankees didn't cancel the game. They are cowards for doing so, but. On the other hand, the inverse reaction of all this is that I get instead to see an August game against the Red Sox, which will likely be more meaningful, likely be a nicer night. It'll, it'll finish up the four game set. Remember? Yes. It's the second game of a doubleheader. I was no. looking on what? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> not to the Karabas tweet? Yeah, I did see that. I Can try I not to. I, I couldn't run a cup. Cup. By all means. <sighs> I, I, I can't even get the words out because he gives me brain damage. His tweets give me brain damage. He has like some obsession with the phallus that is like borderline concerning. What is it? The fucking jumbo dong. What's the other oh, one? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the Raphael Devers being a child, even though he's the same age as Julio um, Yuri. Where's Amaz? Urias? Yes, Glaber's younger. Yeah, Glaber's younger. So uh, the one time Glaber had a homer against San Diego, and so you know, it was was painful to watch divers make somewhat decent plays. He's gotten much better in the field. It's it's it's, (sighs) it sucks. I mean, he's dropped from like three fifty to two seventy five. Yeah, but yeah, we yeah. Okay. If you're average what they're paying Devers, still paying Pablo Sandoval pretty reasonable. <laughs> I wonder if you average their BMIs too. I wonder what that would be. 
like yeah. the biggest uh, Yankees fan in the Boston area, Michael Chavis. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Yankees fan. Yeah. All right. But all right. Well, wow, that's pretty weak from Jacob LOI. <laughs> regardless, uh, you know, I was, I was sorely, I was sorely mad for the night, but ended up having, I, I ended up salvaging the night, not, you know, with no thanks to the New York Yankees. Um, the weekend was made a little bit better because they won two out of three. We're looking at three game series against the Toronto Blue Jays starting on Tuesday, which we won't necessarily cover because by the time you see technically this, today. Yeah. Well, I mean, today is Tuesday. I wasn't saying, but thanks cup. Anyway, um, we're looking at three games against the Toronto Blue Jays, which I'm not going to really go into because you will probably hear this at the conclusion of that series. After that, we see the Cleveland Indians, who are just an absolute disgrace this year. Still beat and the Sox, though. They, uh, they did it? beat the Sox. I mean, it's not really that... What's the word I'm looking for here? Difficult, I think. Not really difficult. Yeah, so we're looking year. at three against the Blue Jays, three against the Indians, and then we come back to the Bronx for a two-game Subway series before an off day, which is always fun. That's a nice little summer. Let's get to this. Um, but with that, thank you all for some reason sitting through this absolute mess of an episode of the podcast. Thank you, J Cup LOI, for joining us tonight. Your services have been greatly appreciated. Um, hope I could do this again sometime. Yeah, and we certainly, we certainly hope as well that you can join us in the future. Um, summer of Cup. <laughs> summer of this is going to be Cup Scary Sanchez. So I'm, rookie summer so look out for more cup on the way look out for more core four podcast on the way as always like subscribe rate you know hit the subscribe button right right below me uh all that stuff everybody type in the chat but no really thank you all for listening as always and cup any last words take us away uh yeah Go Yankees. Thank you, everybody. Good night.